This is a Discovery Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we invite you to find yourself in the bigger story. To find out more about what's going on in the life of the church, head to discoverychurch.com.au. Morning, everyone. Great to see you. It's good to be together today. Um, I grew up on a regular suburban Australian street, and around the corner from my house were two parks, two parks, and they both had playgrounds. And those two parks and those two playgrounds filled out a lot of my upbringing. I did not do homework because I went to those parks as soon as I finished school to play rugby or to play football or to kick the ball around with the other neighborhood kids. Around one corner I had Peter DePina Reserve and around another corner I had Pemberton Reserve and both of those parks were local to me and we spent a lot of time in those two places. So I want to give you a little bit of an insight into the parks around the corner from my house, okay? And so the first thing that was, that, that one of the features of the parks that were near me was this, a rocket slide. These guys were unreal. These made going to the park a real treat. The rocket slide had layers, like levels, that you could climb up through. So you get in the bottom and go up the ladder, and then you're on a platform, and you go up another ladder, and onto another platform, and then up another ladder, and onto another platform. And then, of course, what, what issues out of the rocket slide was the, uh, rocket, was the metal slide itself. Beware on hot days, everyone. Just be careful about the hot days on the metal slide. Another thing that was a feature of the parks around the corner from my house was this thing. These creepy, weird, anatomically incorrect, strange animals that were worn on the seat and you could worn on the face because everyone, you know, like the place of the high touch points on those kinds of things. Also really great for pulling back and releasing at the person standing on the other side of them. You know, these kinds of creepy, weird um, things around the corner from my house, but were a lot of fun and made up part of who we were and the experience of our local park. This was another one. The circle slide with the high walls, excellent for climbing up them rather than sliding down them. These kind of spiral slides were great because you could grab onto the side and kind of make your way all the way up to the top and then slide back down again. You know, like it, it made, um, it made the, the slide trains really fun with a bunch of other people throwing stuff down them, pouring water down them, pouring coke down them, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff that we all like to do. Here's another one. Here's another one that, that, was, uh, that was really great. The, I don't know what you call this. I've heard them called merry-go-rounds. Nothing merry about them. I've heard them called roundabouts. I've just called them spinny things. And now why do they always put these not just at the local park, but also at all the McDonald's's that you went to as kids? Because of course you eat like three cheeseburgers and then go on one of them and then see all the cheeseburgers just come back out again. This was one of those one of these things that I, I could never stomach this roundabout thing. It was an absolute killer, right? And of course, you try and make it go as fast as you can. Sometimes they had the little steery wheel thing in the middle and 
You're going to spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it, and like send yourself into, I don't know, like G46 or whatever, and like, you know, end up passing out because of how fast you could go on those kinds of things. Now, all of this meant that a lot of times we ended up with this next, this next picture. <laughs> right? Lots of happy, injured children everywhere. Happy, injured children all over the place. Happy, injured children with nothing left in their stomachs, right? But one of the most curious features about the park around the corner from my house was this. Scrawled graffiti on the slides. We had one of those, one of the spinny things that we had was enclosed. And so on the walls and on the roof of everywhere, it kind of looked like an apple that with just little openings on it. And was these markings, you know, JS was here. LT was here. Emily was here. This strange compulsion that we have to let people know who will be in that exact same place that we are now, that we were here. Why do we do that? Like, just immortalized forever. Well, until these, these slides or these, this equipment gets removed, we know that Emily was here and so was Blue, right? They were here at this point in time. And on Pentecost Sunday, it makes me think, if God had a playground, would we know that he'd been there? What do we know? What are the signs? What's the evidence? Where's the scrawling little note from Jesus that said, hey, P.S., guys, I was here. If we were to take a moment to consider this community of people, this body, this temple, which is you and I, our hearts knitted together, serving and following after Jesus, would we know that Jesus had been here? Would we know? They certainly knew that some of the disciples had been with Jesus in Acts 4.13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? Then they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. It's a big one. Do people recognize that you and I have been with Jesus or in the converse that Jesus has been with us? You see, these men had never, hadn't been to the rabbinical training school. They hadn't been through all of what we would call Bible college. They were, as, as, as the scripture says, uneducated and common. And yet they had one thing that stood out and stood above it all. And that was that they had been with Jesus, their lives had the mark, they bared the marks of being near to Jesus. So is our faith private or public? Well, I'm sure that you would have a compulsion to tell me that it's one or the other, but maybe it's both. As we come to Pentecost Sunday, we find that something that is private becomes very, very public. 
something that is held within becomes screamed, shouted from the rooftops. Is the church a museum or a sandbox? We can find that our lives are spent, our churches are spent sometimes looking through the relics of antiquity. We sing all the old songs, tell all the old stories, remember all the old days. And there might be something about that, but also the church could be a sandbox, a sandpit, a place to play, a place to steal someone else's trucks. All right. And maybe it's a little bit of both. But the main question is, is what are the signs that God was here? I'm sure that if we asked that question and we took a survey and you all had got to write something down or put something into your phone, there might be a hundred different answers about what the signs might be. What are the signs that you would look for? To say, oh yeah, Jesus was there. Jesus was there. We saw it because we saw the, we saw the writing on the wall. We saw the script on the inside of the apple-shaped spinny thing. We saw that he was there. What are those things? Well, it is Pentecost Sunday and we preach according to some of the major key elements in the Christian calendar, and today is one of those, Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the Passover. 50 days from Easter, if you like. And we do that because it reminds us of some of the key elements, the key truths of our faith that have been celebrated for over 2,000 years. And so whilst we are, by affiliation, a church of Christ, part of the churches of Christ, today I'm going to give you all permission, or maybe even invite you to become a Pentecostal today. Because that is what we are. We can all be Pentecostals today, all right? So whatever that means for you, just let that spirit, just let it free. Let it go. <laughs> all right, let's have a look at Acts 2, shall we? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We've gone straight to the second slide. That's all good. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house of uh, the entire house where they were sitting. It divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each, each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and, and astonished, saying, Are not all those who were speaking 
Galileans. So we have this amazing moment. 50 days after the Pentecost, the church are gathered together in an upper room waiting and praying because God had told them, Jesus had told them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. So there they were waiting. The day of Pentecost had arrived. The town of Jerusalem had swelled. Sometimes, some people say with up to 130,000 more people than are usually in that city. People who had traveled from far and wide to celebrate at very least in a very kind of rigid religious way, the fact that the Pentecost had arrived. They were there for a feast and a festival. They were all gathered together in one place and all of a sudden a sound comes from heaven. Sounds like a rushing wind and fills the building that they're all sitting in. It said it filled the house where they were staying. This man-made structure filled with people who loved Jesus and were praying, was filled with a sound like rushing wind. Filled it. The entire house inhabited by the sound of God as it was rushing in to them. There was tongues of fire that came from the roof. Now, we don't know what this means. This is Luke, right? He's trying to put something down in words that you and I would understand that to, to try and explain this supernatural phenomena. This thing where this fire comes down and separates down on every single person who was sitting there. About a third of the people who were in this room. That's about that's and so for those of you online probably about the same people who are on there as well in this place in the place where they were sitting and you start thinking to yourself well what's all this about then they start talking the talking begins but the talking that begins is not their own native Galilean language but it's the language of all the people who'd come from everywhere else to be in Jerusalem it's all of their languages so if you read on in this passage and you go Acts 8, 9, 10, 11, um, Luke tells us some of the smattering of places that people were and it was around about 10,000 miles square of people in terms of who he was talking about. 10,000 miles squared around the city of Jerusalem. They were the languages that people in that room were speaking at the time. This is just getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And not only are they speaking languages, we're told that they are declaring the praises of God to everyone who'd come at that point in time. And of course, from that moment, the church is born. There is a, there is an awful, like, loud, cacophonous noise of people who are saying all of these things. Everyone starts accusing them and saying, well, they've obviously had a little bit too much harvest wine. It's the first accusation that comes against the people of God. They're obviously drunk because at Pentecost, it was also the start of harvest. And so what you would do is bring your first fruits to Pentecost. In the time of year that it was, you had, you had the Passover and then 50 days you were harvesting. And at Pentecost, to remember the God that, who gave in the law would come and they would bring their first fruits. And of course, the first fruits is sometimes the actual first fruits, the first sweet wine that comes out of the grave. 50 days after Passover and so the accusation comes these guys have started early today 
It's one of the first things that Peter says is, guys, it's nine o'clock. We're good. We're not that good, right? So this is where it goes. But the first observation that we can make is this. We move in this moment from law to spirit. From law to spirit is the first place that we move to. From law to spirit, what do we mean by this? From Exodus 19, God says to Moses, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Pentecost was the moment when Israel reached the foot of the Mount Sinai and Moses went up and brought them down the law. Hang with me here. At Pentecost, the first Pentecost, after Israel was released from Egypt, out of slavery, they wanted 50 days and they made it to Sinai. And at Sinai, God says to them, I'm going to go up, I'm going to send Moses up, and he's going to bring you down the law, and this is going to be the covenant. At this Pentecost, it is not the law that comes down, but the Spirit. It is not words that comes down from heaven, but enabling, but empowering. You see, we've not just been given a knowledge of God's purposes but the means and the capacity to live it out in the world. Do you think God would ever call you to something that he does not empower you for? What kind of parent asks their child to do something that they cannot accomplish? Here's, do you study? But no, I'm not going to give you pencils or paper. He doesn't do that with us, guys. God calls us, but he empowers us. This is not the Pentecost giving of the Lord. This is Pentecost who that has come with the giving of the Spirit to enable you, to enable you to do all that he's called you to do. So on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate that God has not called you to something that he hasn't given you capacity to fulfill. The second observation here is we go from confusion to clarity. This is powerful as well. Why? Because when we come to Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2, it reminds us of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. You think, what? How does it remind you of that? Well, at the Tower of Babel, you might remember the people got together and said, we're going to make a name for ourselves and they all spoke one singular language we're going to make a name for ourselves and we're going to build this tower up right up 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 into the tippy top of the sky we're going to reach God and we're going to be like God and the tower of Babel in a funny way God even though they thought their tower was really big Genesis says God comes down to see it it's like it was like (laughs) they thought they'd built a really tall tower you know, you're building this amazing thing with your life. And you're, I'm, I'm, I'm huge. I'm so big. I'm famous everywhere. But then God still has to come down to see it. It's not that big. 
He comes all the way down from heaven to see what they're building and says, oh man, they're speaking one language. They're going to keep building this thing. And so he scatters them and, and, and confuses their languages. And they get scattered. And yet beautifully and poetically at Pentecost, we find not that they all begin to speak one language again, but the wonders of God get spoken to languages that everybody now can understand. The curse has been reversed. And what they build doesn't go up, but goes out. See, in the old days when Babel fell, the languages were confused. But in the last days of the Spirit, the tragedy is reversed. Third observation. We go from coming in to sending out. We're thinking about Genesis 12, and the Lord says to Abram, you know, go from this place to a foreign country, and in you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. It's significant because what happens in Pentecost is they meet, and the place that gets filled with the Holy Spirit is an ordinary place. So no longer do we have one holy place to meet with God but your call is to go and make holy places everywhere. Holy places everywhere. I want us to take a moment to pray right now and ask the Lord that he would come and do a work in our midst. Father, we thank you that in, in Acts chapter 2, you came and you filled the place where they were sitting. So as we sit, we acknowledge we don't need to do anything special. We don't need to go anywhere special. But we simply sit and pray the prayer that we've been praying all morning, which is Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hearts, fill our lives, fill us in this moment. Amen. What does this all mean? What does it all mean for us today? 
What is it that we can take away? What is it that we can do differently tomorrow that we weren't doing today? What is it that we could be thinking about differently because of the power of Pentecost today? You know, we get to this question at every message and you've got to ask that question, well, so what, right? You, you go, yeah, that's great. I get that Pentecost is significant for the church. It's a time where the church comes alive, where God births something brand new, where he replaces the giving of the law to the empowerment of the spirit, where he writes the law in our hearts. We get that. We get now that we have a language to speak to the world, to the culture around us. It's not all about everyone coming to us, but it's about us going to them. We get all of that stuff. So what does it mean for us today? Right? Are you asking that question? I'm asking that question. I'm going, okay, cool. So let's do something differently. What would that be? The first one is this, is to acknowledge the fact that our buildings that we are in are both temporary and temporary. You like that? <laughs> proud of it. I'm proud of it. This building that we are in right now, so many people who have been part of this building that we are in have built part of it with their hands. There are mud bricks everywhere that some people who are here today formed with their very own hands. But because they're mud bricks, guys, you know what? They're nothing that special. They're pretty temporary, actually. In fact, the building tells us all the time that they're temporary tells us all the time. Apparently mud bricks have a lifespan of about 20, 25 years, and we are well and truly over that point. Yet, at the same time, there's something special about being together, about being in the room, even though you, some of you are joining us online, there is something special about your place about the place that you've lived, about the house that you've renovated, about the place that you inhabit. There is something temporary, but also something temporary about it. So some questions today when it comes to this. The first question is this. What place does the building where the church gathers have in your life and faith? What place does it have for you? What kind of place does this place have? I mean, I'll tell you what, this is spoiler alert for the church today. Those of you who are here and those of you who are joining us online, we are praying very hard at the moment. Our elders are praying very hard at the moment as we seek to discern what is the future of this church community and the way that we express the buildings that we have, the site here, the site that we have next door, and we are going to be inviting you, your, our church, on a journey of figuring out how we might best be placed to serve our community with our buildings. Because the Holy Spirit filled the room where they were sitting. He inhabits physical spaces, but we all know that the real church is you and I. And when we use those words, going to church, I use them not as going to a building, like noun. I use them as going to church as in a verb. Like as in I'm going, I'm going to swim. I'm going to church. That is, meet with God's people, wherever it is. I'm going to fish, which is fascinating because it doesn't even matter if you don't catch anything, you're still fishing, right? Should our buildings be just for us? 
or should it be for the benefit of our local community? When we consider the swelling of our town, as more and more people move out to our area, should this building be just for us or should it be for others? And if this building is a meeting place for our local community, how should it function? What should be the functionality of our spaces so that the people from who aren't here can access it and feel like it's a place where they can find themselves in Jesus' story as well? Second one would be the thought around other tongues. Because God's giving us new languages, guys. As our city swells and as people end up being around us, I do not want to be the 120 people gathered inside a room where the Holy Spirit is doing a great work and yet we've got nothing to say. And yet the things that we need to say need to be in other tongues. Why? Because people on the outside don't understand us. They don't understand And why should they? We're speaking Galilean when the world's speaking something else. And this was part of the astonishment. Hold on a second. Aren't all these guys from a fishing village and yet they're speaking in our language and we've come from like hundreds of miles away to be here? How can that be? Well, supernaturally, God can give you and me words and language to speak to our culture to speak differently where we say the wonders of God. Our declaration is the same, but it comes across in a language that people can understand. It's why creativity and art is so beautiful because it's a, it's a way of being able to language something that can't be expressed in the same way. It's why your life is so beautifully crafted Because you have a language to speak to certain people in your world that they will understand, that I will never be able to speak to them in. Now, of course, we may be talking about actual dialects and different languages, but we also may be talking the language of subcultures, right? You have a word for the people in your profession because you know their language. You know the culture. You know how to speak to them. That is a gift from the Holy Spirit that he's given to you that we celebrate on Pentecost Sunday. So some questions would be, when was it the last time you learned a new language or you met a new person? When was the last time you learned a new language? I met somebody this week and, and, um, and they're learning like actual Spanish. They watched a Spanish TV show and they wanted, to be able to, they wanted to be able to understand it in the original. So they've gone on to Duolingo, got the app, and they're learning. And I, so I'm talking about that, but I'm also talking about something else. When was the last time you learned a new language to connect with a new person? How might God be empowering us to speak to a culture in a language that they would understand? And how do we hold to our distinctives, that is the wonder of God, without being exclusive? If you're feeling a tension, that's good. The bad thing is when every tension is resolved and you feel like you've got it all stitched up and you're like, oh, easy. 
that's when we're doomed, right? If we feel tension, that's good. That's good. Thirdly and finally, what else does this mean? It means full tanks. It means filling for everyone. We need to be filled again and again, guys. This is a reminder of Pentecost. When I was growing up, we had this fight in our church about whether there was one experience of God or two. Okay? Hear me out. Again, this is like, just hang in there with me just for one second while I, while I kind of indulge some like backstory stuff. We had this fight that said, well, are you filled with the Holy Spirit when you, get, when, you, when you make a confession of faith, like when you get saved, when you become a Christian, or is it a second experience that happens separately to salvation? So therefore, you have a moment with God when you accept Jesus into your life, and then there's a second moment where you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we had a fight, like, you know, the arguments about the theology of those two things. We clearly didn't have a lot else to do, and we clearly didn't kind of have a lot of other things to kind of talk about as a church, and so we would fight about stuff like that. So the thing that I want to put to you guys, though, is this. I think we're asking the question wrong. One or two times? Come on. Let's go one or two hundred times. We celebrate a passage of scripture in Ephesians that says, be filled, you know, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, which kind of is a, is a tip of the hat to Acts 2, because they were accused of being drunk on wine, but they were actually filled with the Spirit. The, the word that is, keep on being filled, so it's like a sail of a boat that needs air in it to be fill it, but then it needs air in it to go, right? You can't just fill that sail up enough so that it's full of air, but it needs to keep on blowing, keep on blowing, keep on blowing, keep on blowing, so that the boat moves along. When you and I are filled with the Spirit, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a two-time thing. It's not even a three-time thing, guys. It's a ongoing reality. We go through the gospel, go through the book of Acts, and you'll find that the church was filled again and again and again and again, and again, and again with the Holy Spirit. Because if you're living off a breath of wind from five years ago, you're not going very far. So, when was the last time you experienced a tangible sense of God's presence? How open are you to experiencing God today? Because some of us, like, let's be fair, and I say this in love, some of us are like, no, I've pretty well experienced all of God that I'm going to, and I'm quite happy with that. If we, you know, if we believe that God is what he says he is, and if we believe that he presents, how he presents in scripture is how we can access him and how he can access us now, I'd be very careful about, about closing the book on your experiences with God. And how might these feelings empower a life of faith, hope, and love? Of course, it's not just about an experience. It's about living and walking differently when you come back down. All right. I've gone too long. Final quote. Do we have that quote there from uh, Henry Martin? Spirit of Christ is a spirit of missions. 
And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary become. What does that mean? It means that the primary goal of God's spirit in your life is to send you out. It's to send you out speaking in a new language. It's to send you out into the world to, in faith, hope, and love. It's to send you out into the world as a part of God's story, helping people, inviting them to access that and find themselves inside of it. And the more filled you are, the more of a heart for others you have. The more filled you are, the more powerful in God you become. The more filled you are, the more loving, kind, compassionate we become. And so, on Pentecost Sunday, Jesus is here. That's the good news. Right here, right now. Let's stand. Today has been a tiny bit nostalgic, and I apologize for that if that hasn't worked for you, but I also um, hope that today has been enough of a backstory to help us move forward, to help us move into the future, to see that Jesus is right here, right now, inscribed on the slide of 2022. It's not Jesus was here, but is. Right here. Right now, so Holy Spirit, we pray that you would meet us afresh today. We pray, Holy Spirit, for a renewed sense of your power, of your love, and of your commissioning that we would go. Jesus, we come and ask that you would um, continue to minister to us, fill us, that we would be able to be ministers to the community around about us. These flesh and bones, these bricks and mortar are very temporary. What is eternal is what fills it, fills us. Who fills this place? So Holy Spirit, come right now. If you're open to experiencing a tangible sense of God's presence today, and again, remember, I said that we were going to be Pentecostal in this moment, so, so umbrella of grace, please, just, for, just, just let me live this dream. I'm joking, sort of. I just want to invite you to just open your hands up, out, in a posture of receiving. If you're at home then this is easy for you because no one's watching. Just the dog or just hands out in a posture of receiving from God. It's nothing magic, nothing special. There's nothing, um, it doesn't do anything other than express something that's inside of you which says, God, I'm open to more of who you are in my life. That's it. And on Pentecost Sunday, when we celebrate and remember that the Holy Spirit was given, the promise of the Father was given to the church to empower her to be witnesses. We don't want this to be a museum, God. 
where all we talk about is what happened in the past. But we want it to be a sandpit, God, where we play, where there's joy, where there's creativity, where there's restoration, where people find a fit, where we're telling your story and your story is going on and on and on right now. And Father, we want to be a part of it. We want to receive it. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for joining us on this Discovery Church podcast. Now go and find yourself in the bigger story.